I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town podcast. Rochester? Well, why Rochester? Chris Lindstrom was a hoot. He was just so much fun. He never stopped talking. I mean, it was great. Party down? Yes! Take it from me, an inveterate snob. (laughs) That's it! Stinks! It stinks! It stinks! And we don't need any characters around to give the joint atmosphere, is that clear? Because I'm a pro. That's what pros do. I'm a professional. Look it up in the book. What do you say? Enough. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. And we are back with another episode of the Food About Town podcast. It's, oh man, it's dark at five o'clock every day. Daylight savings time is a myth that we've all fallen into. But I have a guest across from me. Guest, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, Chris. Adam Peterson. Good to see you again, my friend. Oh, Adam Peterson. So before we dive in, Adam Peterson is the owner, head chef of Normal, The Normal? The Normal. The Normal in, is it technically Avon? It's Lima. Lima. I thought it was Lima. So Lima, New York. Um, So this is a barbecue establishment. And if you are going out for barbecue and you haven't been there yet, uh, and you want to go and try... Uh, if you're trying to find what is best in our area when it comes to barbecue and you haven't been there, you have not tried everything yet. So you really need to get there and try what they're doing. Um, I know uh, Carrie, my wife, and I went down for a meal and were blown away by the quality and everything else. So uh, highly, highly recommend going there if you have not been yet. But Adam, how you doing, buddy? It's It's been a hot minute since we've talked on the podcast, meaning like... Like ten years, maybe. I was trying to do. I don't has. It been, I don't think it's been ten, but I was trying to think about the math today because uh, it was for uh, normal supper and cocktail. Oh, that's that. You're right. That's the when it was milkshake event. Oh, right. Yeah, we were that doing was a little pop up at Nosh, and I was. I want to say it was seven years, maybe seven or eight years. That sounds about it wasn't right. Quite ten. We're not that old. No. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, because I. I mean. Let, let's go in, let's go into our history for a minute because we're, we're gonna dive into the intricacies of barbecue we're gonna dive into Swedish heritage we're diving into all sorts of stuff um if we go into the whole history though then it, we might sound old <laughs> I think we're definitely gonna sound somewhat old there, there's no way around it considering when I think we first met was when I was it might have been pre when I was writing for a city newspaper and I remember writing on the old Food About Town blog when I was writing, actually on a blog, writing reviews of things, and I believe I wrote about your barbecue cart, Fetzvin, at the time, which was probably 2012? That's when, that was definitely, yeah, like 12, 13 years ago now. Which Tw- is... 2012 sounds about right, probably. 2012, which, 2013, somewhere in there. Which is amazing to think about like what was the Rochester dining scene then? Mm-hmm. And this was in the like very infancy of, of food trucks yeah. here in Rochester. Like this was right after they were starting to hit. It might've even been pre um, pre food truck rodeo. I, well, that was, we were at the very first one. Yeah. And there was, uh, I don't know, seven or eight trucks maybe. And we all sold out of food in 45 minutes. It was a great night. Oh, I remember that. So I, I remember at that time I was, 
I was doing recaps of every single food truck rodeo because every time you went out, everybody was just pushing the limits on what you could do out of a food truck. Like, was it the first one? Uh, So shout out to Marty O'Sullivan for, I think it was the first one he did foie gras donuts. Yeah, that sounds right. (laughs) Sounds right. (laughs) Which, like, if you think about that now, if somebody came out with that at the food truck rodeo, people are like, what in the hell are you doing? Mm -hmm. And then it was just like, everybody was just going hard every time. And it was, it was really, it was a special time because it was before everything was established, before food trucks were just set menus. Everybody was just like, how do we get people to get in here? Cause it was, you know, it was Paul Vroman and brick and motor and yeah. uh, Marty and obviously uh, Lizzie and the Lizzie and Ronnie on the poutine mm-hmm. truck and you, and it was just, it was a hell of a thing. And now everybody's, you know, for the most part has brick and mortars. It's nice to see how we've all grown up. As I mentioned, when I walked into your studio here, we're not little, no, not little. right. And now, now we're walking in and you're like, what the hell do you have this in your house for? <laughs> it's, it is crazy to look back, uh, you know, and how far we've come. And I, I said, that's why when you came out to the restaurant, I was glad you could see it all because, uh, you were, yeah. So we were in the parking lot at Abilene selling brisket yeah <laughs> out of a trailer so yeah uh, danny yeah. deutsch was kind enough to allow us to kind of uh he launched us really there we did our launch there and he would let us set up and uh one day you came walking up <laughs> and the rest is history yeah here we are 12 years later and uh you know kind of uh the full evolution of everything yeah you saw it all come full circle so i was really happy you can you and your wife can make it out there that was a nice moment for me i teared up a little yeah you know what it 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 felt great and um you know let's let's talk about i do want to go into you know go into the whole journey of getting here but let's talk about what the normal is yeah versus where it came from so let's dive into so what what is the normal as a place how would you define it and how do you differentiate differentiate yourself for what you do the we really tried to do something i didn't want to be just another um uh you know for lack of a better term maybe honky tonk okay right you know i think there's a certain aesthetic that goes along with uh most barbecue establishments at least in this area kind of have like the same vibe we want to do something a little different where uh it felt like somewhere where you could go for quiet night out and a good cocktail Um, we really wanted to have kind of the drink program differentiate ourselves um, and have kind of the uh, feel and the whole vibe of everything when you walk in um, you know just kind of be uh, maybe more of an intimate experience maybe more of a thoughtful experience uh, than what you normally see Um, uh, there's actually a it's funny (laughs) there was a place down in uh, Brooklyn that I kind of tried to model things after, uh, called Fet Sal, which I also stole. Investment. That's where all that came from. But you know, it was a cool little, like, you know, I don't want to say romantic barbecue joint. Um, but that's, you know, especially in the evening hours, that's kind of more what we're going for. Right. Uh, more of an intimate evening, I would say. Yeah. And no, I think that's, I think that's completely fair. And like for all, for all intents and purposes, like, this is not, this is not like, it's not like this is a upscale, like you have to be dressed up. This isn't like yeah. anything like that. It's still a casual place. It's still a comfortable place to go. 
but you're right. I mean, it's not hitting, you know, and you know, we'll, we'll just shout out, let's say dinosaur barbecue, right? Dinosaur barbecue is a very specific feel. They've established it over the years and you know what? It works. Yeah. Everybody likes it. It's a good place and they've done a great job branding and expanding and not over expanding too much. You know, they've done a really nice job, but I think that does leave, you know, that there's holes in the market for places that are not that, that aren't competition style barbecue. So they're not Kansas city, which ostensibly, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, it's kind of what dinosaur is, is roughly that Kansas city style barbecue. But now that's kind of expanded because there's no, it's not like clean that anymore because yeah. now you can't have barbecue without there being brisket cooked anymore mm-hmm. or at least cooked somewhat competently. Yeah. I think that's the biggest change. And, uh, you know, we do get that question. What kind of barbecue are you doing? And I guess the, I, the main reference point I have is kind of like the new wave that I say that has evolved in like Austin, Texas and stuff. And I feel like was kind of born out of the stuff that Aaron Franklin was doing. Um, you know, so, um, it's more, you know, locally sourced, um, there is still very much a food truck mentality to it. You know, we, we still bring that to like the kitchen and everything. It is still very much the sense of, you know, I'm still the one guy there doing the cooking and we are going to sell out of, uh, you know, maybe a few things, but, you know, we try to, uh, not be the barbecue joint that is, you know, selling out of whatever at six o'clock every day. That would be great if we ever get the line out the door, maybe we'll get to that point. But, um, uh, yeah, so to, but Kansas city barbecue, all that, but the biggest change has been, you definitely need to cook a good brisket, which I would say 10 years ago, you could open up a barbecue joint and not even have brisket on the menu. Yeah. It's kind of now become, you know, a mandate, Yeah, but I think you're right. I mean, when we're talking about the history of it, I mean, there's really no, there's no way of discussing that history without, without who you mentioned was Aaron Franklin. You know that pushing of, pushing of quality over everything, mm-hmm. was kind of that drive, and you know it's it's reverberated around the industry where, you know you'll see now we see influences all around. Uh, there's a place in Buffalo, um, you know, really cool guy uh, Ryan Fernandez. Um, he's, um, is this the, the Southern Junction, Southern place? Junction? Yeah. I follow them on the Instagram and he's, uh, one, a great guy. I've uh, had the pleasure of working with him for one of our nominate events in, uh, Buffalo, mm-hmm. go to nominatemeals.com to order your meal for two for $40 for one of our fantastic events or contact us for catering. Um, <laughs> um, I had a pleasure working with him out there and one, a great guy, but like he, he's living that that value of doing, you know, barbecue as best as you can do it, but carrying your own background into it because he's of Indian descent, but grew mm-hmm. up in Texas. So for him, this is his natural, his natural state is what it turned into, which is, you know, you can get brisket biryani, but it's I classic. That he's doing like the foldies and stuff. And yeah. yeah. It looked like a really interesting menu. Yeah. And I'm really excited to go visit the actual uh, restaurant, uh, now that it's open where the old black sheep was in black rock in, uh, oh, okay. in Buffalo. All right. Very nice. So same location as that. So it's a uh, pretty exciting stuff, but it seems that's kind of the direction you've gone as well, which is, you know, establishing a baseline of quality and we'll talk technical in a little bit, but, and then also bringing in some of your own background into it, which I think is one of those differentiators that you can't really mimic 
I think. Yeah, that's kind of why, you know, I said I followed them, um, you know, because it seemed like they kind of had a similar take to what we were doing, which was, okay, you're taking that baseline barbecue or whatever style you want to call it that's been developed here in upstate New York and then putting your little, you know, sort of spin on it, right? And For so, sure. Uh, you know, and I kind of planned on leaning maybe a little bit more heavily into it in the beginning, uh, but we kind of went for... Uh, kind of a Scandinavian take with some of our dishes. Um, on my dad's side, we're Swedish and Danish, so I'll, I always thought it would be interesting. Well, Fetzfin, that's exactly where that comes from, right? That was Swedish for fat pig. So, Which I remember right away because, ostensibly, I have you know a decent amount of Swedish descent uh, from Lindstrom being mm-hmm. the last name. Pretty, pretty hard Swedish with the last name. Um, I remember we talked about that right away because yeah. that was... Yeah, one of those identifiable things right yeah. away. Yeah, it's because you know it was it was kind of like more of a branding thing in the beginning, and then I thought, well, let's embrace it. And then, um, you know, when I started to look at the cuisine, especially uh, with a lot of their, you know, they're very meat centric. Um, you know, it's a different diet than ours, but um, they are very meat centric. And I noticed with a lot of the meats, especially uh, the heavier, fattier meats and the smoked meats, they were using uh, lingonberries. And uh, I thought I had never seen that before. And, um, you know, little secret on the competition circuit, I never really made my own barbecue sauce. I tried it in the beginning and it didn't work for, you know. And so we uh, went to Sweet Baby Ray's, which we would kind of thin out and add some honey to, and it worked great. And we won all sorts of awards, right? But Well, of course, said, but that's like... For all intents and purposes, that's what everybody wants. Yeah, you know, not but, wants, but that's that's the that is the category of what it is. And I don't, I don't think so. I'll, I'll say this as a as an absolute, but I don't think if you tasted side by side all of those things, and you're like, man, that one tastes the best. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you'd ever say that because it's. It's not optimized for taste. It's optimized for being specifically what it is. Sure. And we were on, you know, that's KCBS. That's the Kansas City barbecue circuit. So we were going for a certain flavor profile, right? And at that point, you're layering flavors. So this is not like a main flavor component. It, don't, it should become just another layer within everything that you're building for that turn-in box, right? So it worked perfectly. Right? So we take it. It had a tomato base. It had some molasses. We'd thin it out, add some honey for shine. It worked perfectly. Yeah. But I'm not going to open a restaurant and serve, you know, someone else's barbecue sauce. <laughs> and um, there's a place down in uh, Austin, again, Leroy and Lewis. And again, very like, you know, new wave, uh, very like chefy barbecue, you know. Um, and they do a beet barbecue sauce. And I thought for, uh, you know, that are doing that for that whole red color that you want in that barbecue sauce, what could we do that might have a similar component. And so as soon as I saw those lingonberries, I thought that would be interesting. And if they're using, you know, all that to cut their meat dishes, there's got to be something going on there. Um, yeah. So let's, let's take a, take a sidestep and let's talk about what, what does a lingonberry taste like? So that's, uh, I guess the closest, dis- so a lot of people have described them as tasting similar to a cranberry. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that is that is part of it. Like it's not it's not quite as tart no. and um, I'd say astringent like yeah. a cranberry is. Yeah. Um, but it definitely carries some of that some of that sharpness though. Yeah. Which 
is why I think it works so well. It's almost, it has more juiciness than a cranberry does, even when cooked. Yeah, I mean, it it breaks down differently than a cranberry does when you cook it, I would say. Um, Less pectin? I mean, there it has a ton of natural pectin, but, yeah. you know, whereas... Eh. Because cranberries kind of burst a little bit. Yeah. Um, when you cook these down, they, I mean, they look more like a red currant. I was going to say, it kind of reminded of a cross between a currant. Yeah. Like the really fresh, juicy currants, yeah. not like some of the ones that end up bitter. Yeah. But like between a currant and a cranberry, because that had a beautiful acidity to it mm-hmm. is what I remembered. Yeah. So th- it worked out really well in the barbecue sauce because it provided a nice, you're dealing with very heavy, fatty, you know, the smokiness of it all. You want something to cut that. So it worked out beautifully in the barbecue sauce. Um, then we got the bright idea as well to do it um, in what essentially is like a margarita, like a lingonberry margarita. So we took them uh, and we cooked them down to essentially make a lingonberry syrup. And we do that with some tequila and some triple sec and some lime juice and uh, people love those. It's going to become like our little signature drink. Well, and I think I had one there that was a gin-based drink with lingonberries in it too, if I remember correctly. Uh, possibly. I, we switch it. I mean, things switch up every day. I mean, that's I also that. part of what we do. You know, um, we don't uh, have paper menus, right? Because, uh, you know, I'm going to switch uh, every day. We have something different for you. Uh depending on, you know, even down to the hour, <laughs> depending on what we got going on, we might throw something on there. So well, um, I think it does allow you to not get stuck in the same rut over time too. Yeah. There's something, there's something special about that. And it's been said so much that it sounds, it, it, it is a cliche at this point. They're like, oh, we have a rotating menu based on seasonality yeah, and right, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And you know what? People say that, and then, oh, we've changed three ingredients on the menu, and it's yeah. a new menu. Yep. Um, there's a different thing about, hey, you know what? We're This is just what we're doing today. We're we're trying to push in a different direction today because it's, it's hard, you know, that, that repetition of keeping yourself sharp all the time, too, without – having some of those angles of creativity, having some of those little challenges, those little tweaks that you're doing. And we, I mean, we do, you know, try to, uh, you know, use some local suppliers and, you know, when we had some green tomatoes come in the summer, we threw fried green tomatoes on the menu. So, I mean, who's going to complain about that? Right, exactly. Right, exactly. Well, and specifically, and you're, cause you're open in, what is a very small town you're open in Lima yeah um, where you know the closest town you know is what Honeyoy Falls and you know and I get Avon. That. like that's the you know that's the maybe question number two behind what type of barbecue are you is uh, why Lima yeah and um, and that's part of why I'm here right first of all I come bearing gifts with everything that Livingston County has to offer. I come with Mortalis beer. Oh, yeah. Now we have delicious barbecue at the normal, and we're only like 10 minutes apart. There's like a lot going on out there. But the first thing I will say is that it's really only, uh, as you say, we're five minutes from Honey Eye Falls, which is Monroe County. And so then you're 10 minutes from Rush, and you're 15 minutes from, you know, Henrietta, and you're half an hour from everything else. Well, because realistically, like from... Like from my house, it is thirty minutes. Yeah, like if you're in yeah. if you're in any major city, like you no know, nobody gets a thirty minute commute to get to something that's 
you know, for us is, you know, 20, you know, 20 some odd miles away, but you get there in 30 minutes. This is, it's just as fast as getting to Spencer port or Brockport. Like this is, this is not a challenge to get there. This is something that we should all be like willing to drive to in all of these areas between, you know, there and everything else. It's really easy to get to. Well, and then where we are, we're uh, another Canandaigua is 20 minutes away. Bloomfield is 15 minutes away. Avon is, you know, 10 minutes away. It's almost like you could make a little tour of the day by going to, you know, going to other half, then going to the normal, then going to Mortalis and making yourself a little day and, you know, really enjoying, you know, the Southern tier of, I guess, Southern tier of Rochester area, really. Yeah. You know, and like learning about what's down there because, if you haven't been around, you're not going to see what's really going on. Yeah. And so that's something, honestly, we're really trying to do with something more, uh, like in line, I feel like with like what some of those brands are doing essentially, um, you know, the whole, um, you know, roadside, uh, kind of honky tonk thing, the, um, you know, not even just dinosaur, right? But you, what we have locally, like there is a great place called uh, Fanatics, uh, right across the street from me. They have great blues music. So, oh, awesome! That's we weren't going to try to be a barbecue place that opened up and had you know blues music going because we actually have a great blues joint right in town. So, um, yeah, that's a lot of it. I mean, we're not you know far away, and uh, it, Livingston County also. Um, you know, was very supportive of what we were trying to do. We were doing pop-ups in Geneseo, um, and, you know, they kind of saw what we were doing, and this opportunity became available. And um, honestly, I've been trying to get back over towards, like, the Honeyway Falls area. Um, you know, I cooked at CB Craft Brewers over there and, um, you know, worked and started the bar and kitchen program at the distillery over there as well. So it's a great area, so I've been trying to get back over there for a few years since that all you know, kind of ended. Yeah, there's, so what, what is it about being in those kind of towns that speaks to you? Because that's, it is a very specific thing. And I, I say that having grown up in a, grown up in a very, in a pretty small town, Boston, mm-hmm. New York, you know, my bus ride to school in Hamburg oh. was 15, oh, yeah. 15 minutes. There used to be a barbecue competition in Boston Hills that I I'm sure to all the time. Yeah, that so that's my, you would have passed my parents' house, oh. I'm sure, every time. Oh. Um but that was, you know, we were closer to Springville and Cows than we were to, you know, major cities. Mm. Um, and that's how I grew up. But what what is it about those kind of areas that speaks to you saying that you really want to be there? I mean, the main thing for me now is, you know, my my family is out here, right? I have um I have four kids and uh everything else going on out here is uh the main reason, you know, I'm in this area. But um, I mean, it just, it has a different feel, you know, the small town. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a little more laid back, certainly. Yeah. Um, you know, it, <laughs> um, same thing like growing up here. Right. And even like my dad and everything, like we come from, a, uh, he came from the Midwest and so it was a much different feel. It, it allows you to breathe a little bit if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, but it's not like uh, I chose Lima because I have an aversion to like Rochester or anything else. Uh, it very much was essentially like 
an opportunity. It's just weird how things work out, right? We were, I had given up on cooking essentially and, um, an opportunity just kind of fell into my lap and, uh, maybe nudged me along and said, Hey, dummy, this actually is the thing you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And, uh, here we are, what, nine months later. Is it only nine months? It's only Jesus. been nine months. We opened uh Super Bowl of this year. Wow. Was our first day open and that was takeout <laughs> only. I rolled in with <laughs> all my kids. Yeah. <laughs> not the fourth one. She's uh she's not even two yet. She's not old enough to work. But the the OG three as I like to call them, they rolled in and helped me and uh we banged out a Super Bowl service and now here we are nine months later and Wow. I mean it's been you know, we're still open, right? Hey, that's that's the first thing is being open and staying open. We're still open and we're growing. And, um, yeah, so I think it was less location, honestly, uh, and more, I don't know, just opportunity. Yeah. Trying to listen to the universe a little more these days, Chris. Does, does being in a small town work for you, though? Like the way your mind is now versus where you were before? Is it? Does it does it let you be does it let you be the best you you can be today? Is there something about that that's sitting with you at this point? Oh, that's you know that's interesting. The best. So, hmm, I think I am a better me for ending up where I've ended up. Yeah. Um, I think creatively maybe it just forces you to do some different things, which isn't necessarily a drawback to creativity, right? It's just forcing you to be creative in a different way. Um, so I think it's been just more of that, right? It's been an adjustment from maybe more of the mindset of things that, uh, have worked in my career up in Rochester and having to maybe reflect on that a little bit more. And I'm not even just saying in terms of like, uh, the food, right. But, uh, how we do it, you know, for sure. And, uh, you know, everything about the place is efficient too. Like, you know, for when you walk in, like you can be looking at your menu right away. You can order right away. Everything's coming out quick. And it's the kind of place where, you know, you want to go in for, you know, an early dinner and then bounce to the next place and bounce to the next place. You're going to be able to get in and get your food and enjoy something that's, you know, pretty excellently done. Um, and something truly unique in our area. Um, I think before we, before we take our break, um, I wanted to talk about, um, so I, w- I just want to get one piece of history. So where were you, what were you doing before and what was the thing that drove you back to food? I, uh, so I did the Honeyway Falls distillery and then. <laughs> Which was uh, a while ago. I remember all, I mean, I remember coming out for a couple yeah, things Yeah, so there. that was, uh, like I say, we were kind of rolling out. That's where the whole, like, milkshake event and everything, it kind of, uh, that's where that was born. And um, we, you know, I had moved on from that, and uh, after that had kind of went and run a couple other kitchens. Um, uh, Which and, will- and had very similar experiences, basically. Let's say yeah. just had similar, just... Um, unfulfilling experiences let's call them and <laughs> saw the bartenders all the time and i'm like they are making way more money than i am for a lot <laughs> less work so i said nuts to this i'm gonna go bartend and so i was honestly just kind of bouncing around 
in Livingston County and a little bit in Rochester bartending. And, oh, man, there are some people involved who might hate this story, but I'm sorry. It's a true story, and this is what happened. So one day I'm bartending, and it was slow, and there's nothing going on. And some guys uh, at the place where I'm working want to cook a brisket, and I just can't stand idly by and watch them, like, mistreat this beautiful (laughs) piece of meat, right? And so I cook a brisket, and it comes out, and everybody loves it. And they're like, oh, I didn't even know I can do this. Yeah, you know, I didn't mention it. Um, (laughs) And kind of, you know, born out of all of that, we started doing some pop-ups down there. Uh, And same thing, you know, we would do some brisket, we would do some ribs, we'd do some Cornell chickens, whatever, just the same thing. Whatever we felt like doing for the menu, let's do it. We popped up in the back, you know, kind of set up like – you know, a little pseudo restaurant and like the back lot behind the restaurant and it went great and everybody loved the food and it, you know, kind of felt awesome again. Um, but you know, it's, there's always the financial aspect to it too. And that, uh, you know, still wasn't a reality, but like I say, then some people got in touch with me and there was an opportunity and, uh, it seemed like one I could not pass up. And there's something, something about after all that time, now, when you can take a step back and look at it and say, this is the closest this has been to a complete vision from from yourself. Oh, yeah. But it's the kind of thing where I'm not sure. I, I say this as somebody who has been really working through a lot of this stuff myself is if it if you tried to do the same thing earlier even though you might have had the same idea it might not work the same because you're not you can't see it from the same angle as you can after you've lived more and gone through the ups and downs mm-hmm. and you can't see what you you can't see who you are as clearly until you've been through some shit in between yeah exactly exactly my friend right like the only time this could have happened was this time yeah, because it, it couldn't it couldn't be the same personal thing, no. and it couldn't be this much you without without time without experience. Yeah, I think it's very much, uh, you know, and it is like my dream, right? To let's say open like multiple locations and do different concepts and different things, right? But yeah, I feel like we're really starting with a place that is a true expression of me and like where I am at this point in life and everything that has happened over the past many years. And now you're getting deep and we're going to have to go (laughs) hug during the break. I'm sorry. Yeah. So after all that, now we're going to take a break to to listen to uh, stuff from uh, the other shows on the lunch at our podcast network. Official notice coming in January about all the shows on the network. And we'll be right back. Welcome to Behind the Studio Door, where we dig into the vibrant creative landscape of Rochester, New York. Hi, I'm Molly Darling, and along with my co-host Christian Rivera and our fabulous producer Chris Lindstrom, it's my pleasure to guide you through the dynamic world of our local creative professionals. Each episode offers a unique glimpse into the studios of those who enrich our Rochester community with their artistic vision. Join us as we explore the diversity and talent in Rochester, revealing the compelling narratives and creative journeys that exist just beyond the studio door. 
Hey, it's Pauly Guglielmo, host of the Pauly Guglielmo Show here on the Lunchador Podcast Network, where we talk entrepreneurship and all of the trials and tribulations, pitfalls and rewards, and there are many, of owning a small business. We do interviews with some of your local favorite business owners, learning how they built their brands, the struggles they faced along the way, and what they have in store for the future. And sometimes it's just me detailing my own daily wins and losses. It's called the Pauly Guglielmo Show, and I'd be honored if you'd check it out. New episodes come out every Sunday morning. And we're back with the second half of our conversation with Adam Peterson from The Normal in Lima, New York, a short 30-minute drive from the heart of Rochester, New York, uh, doing, I don't know, Swedish-style Texas-ish barbecue kind of thing. Pretty sure that's the description we talked about. (laughs) Sounds as good as anything. Yeah. I would just like to say, too, thank you for the cuddle. Um, Chris makes a wonderful big spoon. He made me feel so safe. I, it's, that is one of my best skill sets. Thank you. <laughs> so after our like introspect, you know, our, our deep conversation to finish, um, I want to talk about barbecue as a practice. So we talked about some of the hours and that, you know, you're working long hours every day to make sure you can hit your quality that you're doing all this stuff. But I do want to talk about, like, what is, how do you do barbecue? And I want to talk about technique for a little bit because I think people have a rough idea what's going on, but I'm not sure they really understand the process of doing this the right way. So let's let's go through, let's go through brisket because brisket's kind of what a lot of people think they know nowadays. Mm-hmm. But I think doing it every day gives you a certain perspective on it that you can't have unless you do it all the damn time. <laughs> Brisket is uh, the trickiest one as far as I'm concerned because it's uh, two different muscle sections that come together essentially that cook completely differently. I uh, have a completely different muscle structure, right? So Different fat content uh, as well. Yeah, there. I mean, there's uh, one portion of it which really essentially has no internal fat, no internal marbling in another section, which is nothing but internal marbling. Yeah. And it's like, if you separated them and you just cook the one side, you're like, Oh, this is so easy. This is, <laughs> this is fant- This is so easy to work with. Yeah. The brisk, the quote unquote brisket you see in uh Wegmans generally, most of the time is just the, it's the flat with the point removed and the flat is the point. Uh, the flat is the portion which has no internal marbling and, you know, if you want to throw it in a crock pot and braise it, it'll come out great. But um, if you want to do one properly in terms of barbecue, you got to cook a whole one, which is the flat and the point together. There. So uh, how, how before? How much does a full brisket weigh? The ones we cook, roughly. Um, I mean, you can get different sizes. We uh, and you know, I'd like to cook as large as possible. The biggest fi- I found, we're working with some nice. Um, the distributor, the the packing house is Swift. They have a line, uh, which is their 1855 line, and it's all prime grade, uh, and it basically comes from two or three farms out of Iowa. Um, you know, so it is uh, a higher grade. You know, it's not. I set out looking for you know a local organic product, and unless I wanted to sell brisket for eighty dollars a pound, that was never going to happen, unfortunately. Yeah, I I tried to find you know the most humanely raised and highest quality product we could bring in. Uh, the briskets we're bringing in are running around a fifteen pound average. So I mean, just a that's that's an important reference point because, like for most people at home, the only time you cook anything of that weight 
is once or twice a year when you're cooking a turkey. Sure, like yeah. that's the only time anybody like most home cooks ever touch anything that's that size, which is like I said, once, maybe twice a year, you're doing something like that. Unless you're, you know, you're a bit of a, you know, you've got that barbecue bug and you're doing stuff like that. But otherwise that's the only time you see anything that big and you're doing that all day, every day. Yeah. And, and multiples of those. Yeah. Um, now that starts out at 15 pounds. We take that, you know, we will, so we trim those down. There is, you know, fat caps, um, that won't render down. And, um, there is some internal fat that then connects the muscle structures, which won't, won't render down. Basically we're, we're looking to trim that down to leave us with a good bite for the end product. So, I mean, so we're, we're going to keep on interrupting because I think it's important to talk about the details in this because mm-hmm. that's where, that's where the expertise comes in. Yeah. Like you, anybody can th- just, you know, throw salt and pepper on it and throw it in a smoker and turn yeah. out something that's probably okay ish. Um, but all the details is where it turns into consistency and, you know, the finer touches on this. Um, when you're talking about rendering fat, um, especially beef fat does not render easily. It's highly saturated. It's very solid at room temperature and it's not rendering unless you're purposefully rendering it Like you're cooking it out and you're trying to bring the fat out of it. It doesn't cook the same in large chunks like our on the outside of a brisket. Yeah. I mean, and this is, you know, it leads into kind of what we were talking about a little bit over the break, right? Where, I'm going in and trimming each of these briskets, and this is where, and it sounds, oh, this is a horrible statement. It sounds pompous. This is the closest thing to, like, jazz music that you get to in barbecue is what I tell people. And, you know, even trying to train prep cooks and whatnot, it's easy to say, okay, trim that brisket, but trim it right. Yeah. And they don't know that because there are, then even within the layers of fat, right, you will have, there's like a harder, almost yellow fat that that's the one I'm saying will not render out, right? We want to take that, but then below that, there's a layer of wonderful, delicious fat that we don't want to get rid of. It's we, a buffer too. It's it's a buffer, but then that's also what's providing your flavor experience. You know, there is a reason we're buying prime gray brisket, so we don't want to just eliminate all of that fat and trim it down to you know, a steak essentially. Well, and I think it's also interesting because when you're talking about prime grade and by the way, just for everybody's sake, the only thing they're really defining is intramuscular fat Mm -hmm. with those grades. Like it's not like a lot of other things with the cow. This isn't like, like a quality of how they were raised or Mm -hmm. anything else. It's really just a definition of intramuscular fat. Um, and, how there's a consistency across it versus being in larger pockets. It's not to say you can't use, you know, choice grade meat and do a great job, but it is a fundamentally different thing. Um, And this is where I'll throw my, my caveat into all of this is like, you know, I eat vegan 95 to really 98 or 99% of the time, if not a hundred percent, I'm um, very sorry to lose you, by the way. I was... <laughs> I, I've eaten more than my fair share of meat um, in the past. But, you know, when, if I ever do have stuff, it's all about, I want to enjoy it as much as is absolutely possible. Like if I go to a tasting dinner, I want to enjoy every bite. 
if I'm checking a place out and I have a meal, I want to enjoy every single bite as much as I can. And when you're talking about that, you're getting to the prime grade stuff and the attention to detail that makes a difference in each bite you take. So, so we're talking prime, we're doing our trimming, we're getting the fat just right. So what, what comes after that? So then comes the rub. And that is um, one of the main things we've kind of carried over from the competition barbecue days where I got my start. This is still, uh, when we were in the Fats Fin days, we called it uh, the Battle Axe, mm-hmm. Battle Axe Barbecue Rub. Love it. You know, because, uh, you know, don't leave home without it. And uh, it's, um, although it's interesting <laughs> how things have changed, um, we have had to tweak it just a touch uh, recently because there is a Morton's kosher salt shortage, which I never thought I would ever say in my life. Really? Uh, can't find it anywhere. So if anyone knows where I can find Morton's kosher salt, well, let me know. Let's talk about salt for a second. Because this is one of those things, and when you're talking about attention to detail, right, yeah. this was a very, uh, I fought it for as long as I could, and I was literally driving around to all the stores in Livingston County and buying up Morton's kosher salt. Yeah, Restaurant Depot doesn't have it. My distributor doesn't have it. It's oh, my God. It's nowhere to be found. Um, but... There are different, you know, so my distributor wants to substitute diamond, uh, diamond crystal. Very different. This is a completely different sort of thing, right? So let's, let's talk about, let's talk about salt. So I will preface this conversation. It's not that it's a different salt, right? No, they're both kosher salts. And it's, and it's all, it's all salt. It's all pure, um, you know, sodium chloride. Like there's no, like both. Well, let's use those two. Let's just talk about Morton's and Diamond for a second because yeah. those are, when you're talking about kosher salts, those are probably the ones you see v- the vast majority of time for sure. on the shelf in your supermarket. Um, but they are very different to work with, and that is all about crystal shape yeah, and how they feel in the hand and how it's kind of a density thing. Um, and really, it changes how you apply them mm-hmm. because, and I'll, I'll throw my thoughts in, then you tell me where I've misstepped. So diamond is out almost fluffy. So it's very fluffy, and when you're holding it in your hand, you can feel each individual thing, and it's actually kind of hard to oversalt unless you're pouring it from yeah. the container. You can put it on your hand, and you can sprinkle it, and it's kind of hard to oversalt because it's not very dense crystals like... Um, or like that true salt, which is even more dense than Morton's. Yep. Um, it's there's a reason why a lot of um, you know kitchen cooks use diamond because you can really work your seasoning, and it's easy to hold in your hand, and it's it's texturally very pleasant to work with. Um, Morton's very different. It's closer to pretzel salt mm-hmm. than it is to diamond salt. Yep. And it's almost bigger crystals, and it almost has a crunch to it. Not like a you know Malden pyramid salt, but it has a different crunch to it than the other thing. But it is saltier per grain than um, than diamond is. Yeah, I mean everything I I just used a lot of words. I <laughs> everything I've read, and I didn't believe it for the longest time, and then um, till I made the rub, and it came out differently. And yeah, I Morton's is apparently twice as 
salty. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what the proper like you know scientific term would be here. It's salinity, like what, yeah. salinity level. It's just when you're when you have it in your when you have it in your hand if you have a a pinch of it, it just happens. It's a little denser. Yeah, and it's a very different way of applying it. I mean, it's going to break down differently on the meat, and it's certainly, um, you know. And then you're talking about, and which is a very like crucial element in barbecue, is the whole bark formation. You know, it's going to draw out the moisture differently in the meat and give you a whole different uh, bark formation too. So I'm missing my Martin's kosher salt. That's basically where we were going with all of that. Yeah. I mean, um, but I mean, we still. So now we're making our rub with the diamond crystal. We've had to make some adjustments. You know. You're on the fly, but um, we essentially apply that at that point. And the only tweak I really do, um, some of our meats we do uh, get just that rub application, uh, most of the pork, basically. And with the brisket, we will add in a little bit of black pepper. Which is very, you know, it's kind of the identifiable identifiable flavor of brisket is that, you know, black pepper is defines a lot of that flavor of what brisket is nowadays. Yeah, that's a, probably the one place where we really reference Texas barbecue. I yeah. mean, to all the Texas barbecue guys are doing straight salt and pepper. Yep, um, and a ton and, of pepper. Well, and to that point, too, uh, you know, they use the diamond crystal because they're basically doing a 50-50, and then they just throw it all over that. Like you said, it's almost impossible to over-salt that. Right. So, um, probably works much better for the application and how for they sure. use it. Um, and then we're going on the smoker with everything. Um, the big thing then really comes down to the wood, right? We're using, I don't know where I found this guy too. Uh, he's a local guy down in Hanoi, New York. He finds me, he goes around and finds hickory and cherry wood. Great. Um, so we're burning all local hickory and cherry. And you know, those are very classic, very classic smoking woods. Yeah. Um, and so I think something you know, we talk about, oh, what kind of wood do you use? What's this? But it's like it burns consistently. Those woods, they're very they're very hard woods, mm. and they burn pretty consistently. They burn relatively hot. They burn relatively clean. Yeah. And they have a – it's a neutral plus flavor, right? You know, they're both – they both bring some good flavor to it. Yeah, I mean, it's – hickory especially, I would say, is super traditional. Um, uh, and it – is probably a little denser and harder than I would say the cherry. The cherry throws off a little bit of more of what I would call a dirtier smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, we use a little bit of that. Like, you know, we'll use the barkier pieces and a little bit of the dirtier smoke in the beginning, honestly. Like, we will do that. Um, uh, just because, I, th- you know, I kind of like the flavor that that brings, especially from the cherry wood. Um, but if you get a good cherry, you know, you can smell it. Um, and they bring, you know, we try not to over smoke. We try not to overdo anything, right? We yeah. try not to overdo the sauce. We try not to over smoke. Um, you know, the Texas guys say they only use salt and pepper because it allows the flavor of the beef to really come through. There are a, a ton more components in our barbecue rub, but I think especially in the brisket, you know, the flavor of the meat itself really does still come through. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it's not like this is. Like, oh, we threw a ton of sugar on this, and right. we did this, and we did that. And it was, it still tasted very much of brisket when I had it. And I thought it was, you know, for what I've had in our area, um, I thought it was pretty clearly the best barbecue I've had in our area. Oh, thank you. Um, and I think I told you that night, but I think so it's, sweet. 
it's the honest truth is I think you've, I think you've hit on something, which is, um, there's a dedication to detail. Um, we were talking in the break about, you know, one of my, one of my favorite meals I ever had was twice with eating at the Una Pizza Napolitana and the, the head chef and pizza maker there, Anthony Mangieri is just one of the true crazy people of the food industry who brought in many ways that, um, maniacal passion of quality to making Neapolitan style pizza here in America, starting in New Jersey, then to New York city, to San Francisco and back. And I've had it a couple times. I, I still think it's one of the top five pizzas I've ever had, you know, from eating all around the country at Neapolitan pizzerias and all in outside of Italy. But there's something about the person who's doing that work and still being behind the smoker and, getting everything just right where you can taste that in the food. And it's not, it's not, you know, you can taste the love. No, it's just about that maniacal dedication to quality. Yeah. No, it's not love, Chris. No, God, no, (laughs) we don't believe in that nonsense. No. No, but really it's, it's about that quality above everything else is paying attention to all those things. Yes, you are smoking, but it's not just how much smoke can you put in it? It's balance. And a barbecue sauce using lingonberries, which is balance. Mm. And it's not just sweet. It's got acidity because, you know, sweet on rich isn't balance. Acidity needs to be there or else it just gets, each bite is, you just get, it's diminishing returns every bite. We, um, another of the questions, we get a lot of questions at the restaurant, actually. That's part of the whole thing. And I guess, you know, it's a different experience, but I'm telling you, you're going to love it. You know, we get asked well, is that your only kind of barbecue sauce? Really, like we have a barbecue sauce, we have uh, Texas Pete hot sauce. You uh, spice things up a little. One bit of the because, it's a classic you know, for a reason, right? I love Texas Pete. Um, we have an Alabama white barbecue sauce that we do on like Fridays with our chickens and stuff. Very good, by the way. Thank you. But otherwise, we just have the one barbecue sauce because I like we really are trying to approach it from. One day it clicked to me. I started reading like a bunch of French cookbooks and it dawned on me that really barbecue is, you know, it's, I'm not going to say it's French food, but a lot of the same principles apply, right? Yep. You're just building and layering and building and layering and building and layering. Um, and so when that, all that clicked, I was like, okay, no, we don't need, you know, we don't need a, we don't need a sweet sauce and we don't need a spicy sauce and we don't need a, you know, whatever. Because yes, we all of the flavor profiles are very intentional to build upon each other, and I think give you, I don't know, I'll put the brisket up against anybody around here. But no. I, you know, I think we're killing it. I'm there. You know, like, we're there every day. Like, yes, putting that same thing. I would hate, you know, after 14 hours to miss one of those little details, and then yeah. it goes out because it really is. You know, if you're buying a half pound of brisket, it sounds like a half pound of meat, but, you know, I don't know what you guys got out there. You're basically talking about three slices of brisket. Right. It's not a, you know, it's not a ton. And so I would hate for you to be disappointed in any of the, any of that. Every slice matters. Right, exactly. Um, I was about to say something like, uh, like, you know, 
heretical, like, you know, that barbecue is one of the American mother sauces. <laughs> but it's really ketchup, unfortunately, because, like, so many of them are, like, ketchup-based. So ketchup's like an American mother sauce. I mean, we, you know, no lie, we start ours. I will. We don't use straight ketchup, though. I use that Heinz chili sauce. Oh, nice. That's not good stuff. I mean, there, there's so much, there's so much to making something like that where it's, there's never, you know, you can take fresh tomatoes and cook it down and do yeah. all that, but you know, we're also talking about consistency and right. doing it, doing it in a way where you're going to get a consistent result every time too. Um, so let's finish off because um, we're already coming towards the end. This is flies by, man. This is amazing. It's, so easy. As did the like the last seven years, apparently. Right. <laughs> so, um, so you do all the sides. Um, I gotta say again, everything was really good. Everything Thank was you. balanced. So you can get all the sides. You can get everything else. Um, but let's let's talk about let's talk about cocktails for a second. Because oh mentioned, yeah, let's talk about that. Because yeah, so we're. You mentioned you're focusing on that in a way that not everybody else is around the area, and I know you've got a passion for that. Yeah, stuff. that was part of it. You know, again, working at the distillery kind of really, uh, you know, I dove into the the bar and cocktail side of things, and it's interesting timing because we're working on building like a full on bar. Right, you were in there. You saw right now we don't really have like a traditional bar with bar seating right now, but yeah. Uh, we're actually working on putting one in and should oh, that's have awesome. that open by January or February. That, that'll be great. I think yeah. that'll be kind of the perfect hangout and, you know, find a way to give them like, Hey, you need a sandwich and a, and a really good drink. Yeah. Just come in and, uh, but in the meantime, something. I mean, we do have a full liquor license. So we've been, um, you know, we don't have, uh, it's not long lists of everything. That was never my goal. Right. Um, you know, the beers we have basically, you know, a handful of styles and we try to do stuff that you're not going to see at, you know, most other bars. Uh, you know, we bring in like Omnipolo beers and Belgian Pilsners and things like that. Um, we try to do a decent wine program. We have like Osmot and, um, some really good, like Finger Lakes wines. Which side note, I appreciate that you're doing because that matters a lot to me that a place, you know, that's, you know, essentially, you know, the on entrance to the Finger Lakes, you're on the way to the Finger Lakes. Right. And places that don't embrace the um, excellent quality that we have in our area um, always bothers the hell out of me mm -hmm. because we've got some really amazing stuff that you can get at a very reasonable price and serve something that is excellent and truly local. Yeah. Um, it's worth it. Yeah. I'll just say that. That's, it's, I feel real, very strongly about that. Um, and then we have uh, Bourbon List. Bourbon List is about, oh, eight, 15, 18 long at this point and always really getting solid. longer. And then the cocktails, um, we, again, we have like some traditional things. We have, you know, a Boulevardier. We do Negronis. But then we tried to. Uh, do some different things. Um, so we took, as we mentioned earlier, right, we have a, what is essentially the lingonberry margarita. Um, another one which I'm really proud of because I always wanted to see this combination. Um, and again, leading into kind of the whole Scandinavian influence, we have a drink that is called the X-Ray Vision. Um, and in all of like the New York kind of delis where they do pastrami sandwiches, they serve this Dr. Brown celery soda, right? Oh, fascinating. Yeah, we talked to um, 
we talked to the people over at, oh, why am I forgetting the uh, Jewish style deli? We were Foxes. Foxes, yeah. So I was talking to the new team over at Foxes and we were talking about Celery because, um, you know, it just, it defines a certain kind of place. Mm-hmm. And so I always thought that was kind of interesting. And then we brought in Aquavi, which, uh, how do we explain Aquavi? Let, let's uh, talk about Aquavi for a second. <laughs> so, um, so there's lots of different, um, tons of regionality when it comes to spirit making, but Akavi, the main flavor of, I mean, if you're thinking about gin as like, you know, a British thing that has traveled around the world, um, it has many different components to it. Um, although Akavi does have often many things in it, the main flavor is driven by caraway seeds. Yeah. So if you like classic rye bread. Yeah, which or, sounds weird. And it does. And you know what? It can be really weird. It can be savory. I've had some. It's also really interesting. So uh, your friend and mine, uh, the the most interesting <laughs> and uh, eccentric man in the world, Chris Carlson, um, has taught me a lot about Aquavit because, you know, of course, he was able to do like a seminar on Aquavit yeah. uh, on demand. Yep. Um, he taught me how to taste for like the burned seeds in there, yeah. which is really interesting. We're really selling people on this drink right now. Um, but so what I'll say is, <laughs> one, it's a very Scandinavian thing. Yes. And getting those things in there, it's it's a hearty drink. Yes. And it's I think it's delicious on its own. But in a balanced cocktail, I think it can be truly excellent. Well, that was kind of where I was going because it is, you know, along those lines of like a savory liqueur, essentially. And that celery soda is delicious, but... Uh, very sweet. And for some reason, the caraway and celery always kind of, uh, I thought that would go together. I for have sure. never, I have never seen this. I swear. I've never seen this drink anywhere before Chris <laughs> and I had never had it before, but I always just thought it'd be a great idea. So then I took that aqua V and, um, we also don't try Like, I don't want to use like lemon juice and lime juice. We try not to waste. And I'm sorry. That's all very wasteful. Sure fresh squeezing limes and every day like it's extremely wasteful anyway citric acid we take that we adjust the aquavi we add that to the celery soda and it makes a delicious cocktail we like to call the x-ray vision and i i love so everything about that balance but essentially i mean with uh the addition of yellow chartreuse in there oh yeah yellow cheese you know <laughs> Are you looking? Yes. You of course know I'm better, looking at the you, website. You know better than I do right now. Um, but I think there's something about like, but that's, that's intense. There's a lot of herbaceousness. You know, you're talking a lot of savory things, but, um, you know, shout out to Dave Arnold and Donnie Clutterbuck for, you know, everybody loves acid adjusted things. Yes. I will say I definitely probably ripped that off from Donnie Clutterbuck for sure. Hey, and that's, that's something that's driven by Dave Arnold out of New York city. And mm-hmm you know, all those places, uh, doing that kind of work. And it's using these techniques is not a replacement for caring about the end result. Right. Using the techniques is a way to make a consistently excellent product that you can depend on. Yes. And knowing that you're going to be able to get the same product over and over again, there's something to be said about that, especially if you're batching and you're doing other things that now you've got something consistent. You can cut your labor costs by not having to squeeze all day. And you know that the next day your citric acid is going to be the same damn citric acid right, you exactly. got the day before. Yeah, that's what, um, it's, it, I'm sorry, it's more consistent. 
is more consistent and less, you know, like I say, much less wasteful. Yeah. And that is kind of like the whole, you know, kind of Scandinavian drive we're trying to do too. We are, you know, we're trying to cut waste. We're trying to use as much as possible um, and, you know, kind of just be more conscious of how we're consuming, right? Because uh, I don't acknowledge that we aren't necessarily like part of the problem with all the meat, but... Yeah, you know we're doing our best. Right? Well, I, like, so like I said before, so um, so we're gonna go towards our wrap up. But even though, like, my personal choice is I don't eat meat, basically at all, um, is that there is better ways of if you're gonna choose to consume meat, you should enjoy it as much as you possibly can, and if you have the opportunity to use it and use less or eat less, but enjoy it more. There is something to be said for that. There's something to be said for truly enjoying what you're doing. And same thing with, with, uh, you know, with, with alcohol and spirits, right? Like we're drinking a, you know, a Mortalis IPA, right? Some place that's doing really good work. You know, we're drinking a uh, New York state malt from Hollerhorn distilling right now. And it's something that is a truly excellent uh, beverage. I think yes. we can we can all take a step back and say, yeah, not good for us, not a great thing. But if you're going to enjoy it, you should enjoy it as much as you possibly can every time you're having it, because we can all do it to effect. We can all eat meat until we are sweating and feeling awful in the corner. But that's not about maximizing your enjoyment of what you're doing. And yeah, you should know what's happening. You should know the process. And yeah, consciously think about it. It's okay, right? It's okay to think about the whole process of what what it took to get that meat on your plate. But wait, if you're going to enjoy it, really enjoy it. Um, and I think that's what you've gotten to and accomplished with what you're doing. Well, there. I think that's a heck of a way to sum it up, Chris. Jeez. <laughs> Now, yeah, I feel really good now, but what, like, yeah, so that's the whole thing, right? Like we're trying to be more thoughtful about the meals we're serving you. Like, let's not just make it so utilitarian. Yeah. Cause like eating, eating a giant pile of smoked meat every day is not a sustainable way to live a life. Yeah. But if you're going to eat smoked meat, eat it from somewhere that cares about what they're doing mm -hmm. and wants you to have a great experience doing it. And if you want to do that, you can travel the short distance yeah, to we Lima, New York. Where, yeah, we should tell them we're at 1887 Rochester Street in Lima, which is just a straight shot down 15A or, you know, not far off of 390. Like, it's right there. I'm telling you. It's right there. Right there. Take the half an hour trip. Go to the normalbarbecue.com to see the menu. Also, awesome design work. I, I love what I love what turned out on that style. It's just a fantastic styled website and menu. Um, way too many generic things out there. This has some real character to it. As do you, Mr. Peterson, <laughs> some real character. Um, anything else before we close out that people no. need to know? I, I mean, I don't know. I love it. It's good to see you again, man. It's nice to I see mean, you come, too. No, come to the restaurant and have the drinks. I'm telling you, you won't be disappointed. And um, no, it's just good to see you. And it, it's been an interesting journey and, it's nice. Uh, everyone around, you know, we talked about like Donnie, and there are so many other people, right? Yeah. Uh, even though I'm little old me, 
who's out in Lima, like I've always felt so included in like the Rochester food scene, uh, which I've always been very appreciative of. And I, that was kind of what we're trying to do. I'm trying to do something out there that, you know, all you guys would be proud of. So that's what we were going for. No, and I think that's, I think you've accomplished that. And there's, what I'll leave with is, I think for, for those of us who have put put time into Rochester, put time into the food and drink scene, put time into caring about what happens around us, is that we've all put a lot into it. And I know I've gotten more out of it than I've put into it. Mm-hmm. I've put put a decent amount in, and I've got I've gotten way more out. And the relationships and everything else that have grown out of that. And uh, you're certainly one of those people, and I appreciate what you've done and where you've gotten to. Um, so we're going to wrap up for today. We're going to not be seven years between our next appearance. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Let's for not, Adam on the podcast. Not, not so long next time. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we're, we're going to close out. Uh, and just a reminder for everybody to go to nominatemeals.com to order your meal for an upcoming event. If you have a special event where you need catering or a business event, we can compete with the chain restaurants on price and bring you something that is truly special and represents the heart of diverse restaurants in Rochester, New York. Support small minority-owned restaurants. Um, spend with your values. Get better food. And, um, you know, do your part and eat better. So thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next time on the Food About Town podcast.